Hello and welcome to the Odd Collective Radio Show, Phil Rigger. How are you doing, sir? Oh, good on you, Andy. Very well, mate. Thank you. Very well. How's life down there in sunny suburban COVID central? Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, good, good. You know, as good as could be expected, I suppose. I mean, it's been a pretty tough run for for everybody, really. Um, uh, every every news friend of mine is just, um, you know, no one's had gigs. It's just, you know, we've been abandoned by the government yet again. You know, all that stuff. You know, but. Oh, well, you know, like we're, we're getting through it, um, but at least we're, we're looking to be on the other side of it now, which is good, so. Yeah, but sure, sure as I still breathe, as soon as there's a bushfire or another freaking flood, we're going to be asked to stump up for nothing again. Well, that's right. That's right, you know, so... Um, Sadly, and we will say yes. Yeah, we will say yes, and um, I just hope that um, ScoMo and Caleb listen to you know, for the bushfires in relation to that, uh, listen to the um, the people that we have um, in, in charge of um, emergency services and, and the bushfire, um, you know, the, the, the fire brigade and everything else, that we need more planes to fight this this uh, thing. And because it, it's, a, it's an annual event or a biannual event and, and it needs to be addressed seriously, not, not like, what well, we have to hire in a plane from America. That's crap. That's just bullshit, you know. We should be well armed here. We're, we're we're at risk here, and we need to do something about it. And these these fools just keep denying it. And, you know, we, we should have listened to the indigenous folk years ago and done what we did by their um, example back when settlers first came to this country. It's like they observed them doing what we affectionately call a backburn now. And oh, yeah, they've been doing this for 40,000 40, years. So that, they, yeah. They've been looking after the after country you know, in that way. And, of course, the, the, the imperatives change a bit because of the number of people here now and, and that's the way everything is. But essentially what, uh, what they were saying is exactly correct. If you burn it off and you, you do all that sort of stuff, I think the people in, in control of doing those things where they can I've been trying to do a good job in that regard, but they've got to be helped by, by forward-thinking bloody governments. Progressive, you know, you know, be progressive about it, not you know, stick your head in the sand and just wait for it to disappear and come back another year. I remember I was overseas, oh, when was it? Probably 10 or 12 years ago or more. Um, I was in London, and uh, I was surprised. I knew there was bushfires on at home, and I, looked, I picked up the paper one morning there, and, and it was like we'd lost 500 homes. Yeah. Into down in Canberra there, and I was, mate, I was, I was in shock. I was just, you know, I couldn't believe it. And that was probably the the first of the really bad ones in at least in my lifetime. We've had a few, but but that was one of the really bad ones. And 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 uh, since then, it's just gotten you know progressively worse. And so these these morons have got to do something about it. It's ridiculous, really. Yeah, well, it's a it's a shit fight between Green's agenda and sanity at the same time. It's like. Green Green Party policies have led to not doing what the Indigenous showed us to do because they were worried about things that really, yeah, we should worry about. But when it comes to the humanity of things, if you're not looking after both in a desirable way, so much gets, slips through the cracks and you end up with the scenario that we ended up with you know, well, well, I, I agree with you in, in, in one respect, but, but in the other thing, the Greens don't have control. They're, they're no, not people. No, but they, they do have the ability to influence 
in a way no. they probably shouldn't have. No, they don't. They don't. They don't at all, mate. Like the government, uh, progressive, uh, sorry, successive governments, Labor and Liberal, have just gone through there and put their collective heads in the sand. They're the ones calling the shots. They're the ones putting up the money. They're the ones instigating programs and funding those things that need to be funded. Um, the, the other parties don't well, have not a fu- I mean, Not funding know. the things that need to be funded. Well, that, that's right, and they, they don't do that. You know, here's ScoMo off on a holiday in in, um, in Hawaii while the, while the country's burning, and and then comes back and goes, oh, well, look, you know, uh, we've, we've put up lots of money, and the, and the head of the, the um, emergency services is going, well, you know, we've been asking the government for new planes for years and, and, and for new, you know, equipment and, and other things like that, and they've just been slow to, you know, out of the box. It's ridiculous. So, so yeah. hopefully... It's gov- the governments of... Anybody that's in government in this country that doesn't realise that, yeah, every couple of years we're going to get major fires unless we do what needs to be done for some type of negation. And, you know, I'll go to suburbs of Sydney that are under risk because they don't burn. And, you know, we'll allude to a book you're writing and that particularly particular suburb is at risk from not doing backburn around Mount Druitt. Yeah, I know. I know. It was um, it was something that, yeah, you could foretell as, as, as a child growing up. Like, if only, with, you know, in hindsight now, but as a kid growing up in Mount Druitt, like, it was always colder in winter and hotter in summer than, than anywhere else in Sydney. And summers there, we were getting... 120 in Fahrenheit, 120, 125 degrees in summer out there. It's stinking hot. The humidity's, you know, 90% or something. It's bloody amazing. And, and um, you know, then, then you see all the people talking about, oh, well, you know, how it gets incredibly hot summers. No, but I've had some really hot summers as a kid growing up. But what the one thing that they've failed to do is is to, to look after um, the ground like the Indigenous people of um, prophesied, you know, basically, like, you know, burn, doing safe burns to, to prevent larger burns, which happen and, and things get out of control. Certainly some things happen because of, um, you know, lightning strikes and whatever, and these things you can't control. But what you can control is how they fight it and, and the resources they put towards it, you know, and, and and those kinds of things. And as you mentioned before, like, the, there's the, the thing of La Nina and El Nino. Um, and so every, I think it's... Uh, indecisive about the number of years, but it's a cycle that happens across the Pacific Ocean between here and and um, the the US and and um, South America, and and um, you know on one hand part of the cycle is that we get you know um, lots of rain and and we're likely to have floods and stuff, and apparently that's this year, and it could progress you know for a couple of years like this year, and then and then previously like last year it was. We're in the, at the end of the other cycle where it's just dry and we get drought and everything. And this is something typical of Australia. And, and you know, they've, they're just starting to sort of make solid realisations about what that means. And, and they've just got to do something about it. But, you know, look, this is the world we live in. So, you know, we just try to sort of do what we can, you know. Um, yeah. You mentioned my book and, and um, yeah, um, I climbed Mount Druitt. Um, what, a, so- what a mighty title for a book. And it is... So very descriptive of you, to be quite brutally honest. You yeah, did well, climb funny, out of Mount Druitt. Well, the funny thing is, here's, here's the go, right? Uh, I used to live a um, couple of blocks away from what, what was, in effect, Mount Druitt. They didn't call it Mount Druitt like this particular hill. 
but it was the biggest hill around there, and it, it, it's a gradual hill. I mean, you know, really, I mean, it's no big deal. I've got to tell you, in terms of the thing, we, we used to ride our billy carts down Roach Creek Road going down like that, and it was enough for us to get some speed up, but it wasn't like it was some magnanimous thing. And, and that's it's Mount no Druid. Hill. Yeah, yeah, and, and like Mount, Mount Druid, on the top of that was Major Druid's house, who was um, given a, a big land allocation out there, and he built this beautiful old home there and everything like that, much to the chagrin of the local Aboriginal people, I'm sure, like the, that he was given this land. But nonetheless, that's what happened. And um, so his house was there, and I used to walk past it every day on, on going to um, primary school, the Colleton Public, and uh, and that was that was pretty interesting. And then, of course, I ended up going to Rudy Hill High School. Now, the funny thing is, Rudy Hill is a hill, right? Mount yes. Druid is a mountain, so, so, so to speak. So it, the, 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 the mountain that is Mount Druid is a, is a, is a little hill. And the, the, the hill that is Rudy Hill is, is probably five, four times bigger than it and quite steep. You know, when you it's get up more there. of a mountain than Mount Druid is. <laughs> Absolutely. It was never lost on us as kids, you know, at school. It was um, um, St Agnes um, Girls' School. Um, Anglican Girls' School was... was um, um, uh, or Catholic school, 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 but it's a religious girls' school up on the hill there, and I went to Rudy Hill High, which was a co-ed school, and we were we were the radicals down on the on the flats, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you, know. so oh, you climbed out of Mount Druitt. I know the book's coming, but you know when it's out, we'll go in, we'll do a deep dive into the book. Yeah, right. <laughs> <But> you've been. <laughs> <coughs> part of the Australian music industry for longer than I have. Oh, geez, that makes me old then, eh? Yeah, because you're, you're an old guy now. <laughs> oh, yeah, look, I'm an old guy, you know. I've been around. But funnily enough, just for out of interest, um, and it's covered in the book, um, uh, I started playing in a brass band. My dad started at Rudy Hill RSL. He was one of the original members. He was the first signed-on member at Rudy Hill RSL. He became a director of the club. Um, he started, um, along with a couple of other people, started the, the youth club there and in, in turn the brass band if that had previously been a tuba player, um, played knee flat tuba. And, uh, um, uh, and I ended up going there when I was about seven years old or something like that um, and starting to learn an instrument. I wanted to be a drummer at first. I was eight, actually. I was eight years old. I wanted to be a drummer. But there were no drum positions left, and, and I kept saying to him, I want to play drums. And he goes, you can't. They're, they're, they're all, all the positions are filled. Play cornet. And I went, no, 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 no. And this went on for a year. And then in the end, I went, oh, all right then. So I, I played cornet. So I learned to play cornet, which was good. And um, it just went on from there, playing cornet. And, and uh, one thing led to another. I ended up with a bunch of the other guys. They were all my mates from school that, that all joined the band as well. Um, we ended up going then when we were about 14... 15 years old, 15 or 16 we might have been, 15, we went and joined St Mary's Brass Band as well. We're still members of Rudy Hill, but um, that was a, like a junior brass band. We joined um, St Mary's Brass Band, which was a, an A-grade competing brass band. And, um, Out of St Mary's Band Club. Yes, yeah, St Mary's Band Club. And Cliff Reese was our bandmaster, and Cliff was an incredible uh, corner player, incredible. He played with the Graham Bell All-Star Jazz Band uh, as well as a trumpet player, and he was an, an, an incredible uh, corner and trumpet player, and, and um, he was a great bandmaster, and we had a lot of good experiences playing with those guys um, there. And and then when I was about fourteen, um, my dad got a phone call from somebody one day, and Dad pulled me aside and said, "Listen, these guys have heard you play because we had a school band. We had a couple of different school bands we were playing in, and um, that's another story altogether. We had a, a teacher, Lyle Brown, who in 
first year of high school, asked around and said, look, is anyone interested in forming a band? So the, we did form a band and it was two trumpets, two saxes, trombone, two drummers. Uh, Lyle played guitar himself and um, his mate, Maury, who was a teacher from another school, played bass. And, and Lyle went on to write by hand for a nine-piece band 240 written arrangements. We did virtually the whole Beatles catalogue. We did so many different things, um, Blood, Sweat and Tears songs, uh, everything, you know, all sorts of songs, and, and, and all written by hand, and he did all the arrangements. And it taught us so much to do that. And we could literally play for seven hours nonstop without repeating a song. So we went to do a gig, which we ended up doing on weekends. We'd do the local soccer club or football club and, and all that sort of stuff for their end-of-year awards or, you know, that kind of thing. We'd get in and we'd start playing at 8 o'clock and we'd still be playing different songs by 1 o'clock in the morning. Five hours later, we still we haven't repeated the song, you know. So it was it was um, a pretty great um, you know, background to doing that. And, and when I was about 14, Dad got this call and these guys had heard me play in the band there and said, look, we, we were looking for a trumpet player. Um, someone to join the band. So I ended up joining this band of guys that were in their late 20s, early 30s and they were doing RSL clubs and... and golf clubs and, and sergeants and, and officers, messes and all that kind of stuff. And so I joined the, the, this band and Dad took me to, to the gigs for the first bit and then after a while the guys would come past and pick me up and, and do that and, and off I'd go. And now, my dad was a pretty liberal-minded character and, and he was he was a great father. He was, he was terrific. And he said to me, look, son, because he'd already introduced me to this way of thinking earlier, earlier than this, and he said to me, listen, son, you're out there in the clubs and, and I won't be there all the time, whatever. And he said, look, I don't mind. You're a big guy. You're six foot four, right? At the time, I was six foot three, I think, when I was 14. And I always knew how to deal with adults. I spent my whole life um, dealing with adults through the RSL club and all that kind of stuff. So I was always quite mature in that way. And he said, look, I trust you. And he said, but look, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I don't mind if you have a beer or two here and there. That's okay because I know you're sensible. But he said, if I find that you're getting pissed, you're getting drunk and whatever, I will kick your ass and you'll be out of that band as fast as I can, you know, pull you by the hair. And I went, no worries, Dad. And I never did. I never did go and get drunk or do anything stupid or do that. And, I, and, I, and it was the best experience ever. And a year later, while I was playing in the band, I got I, I convinced the guys that we needed another horn player and I got my schoolmate, Mick, who him and I went to school together. And he, we were both, by the stage of being about 16, we ended up being six foot five. I had blonde hair and played trumpet. Mick was six foot five, had dark hair and played trombone, and he joined the band. We we we've been playing in bands for years together and all that kind of stuff. And I met Mick at school, and I've known him for nearly sixty years. We must have so, called you to the twin the twin tower horns. Oh, mate, it was it was very funny. Yeah, you, know, you know, you meet some various people. Like um, another mate that played in the band with us at school, Danny Damjanovic. Dan Dan was um, or Damjanovic. Um, we used to call it, it, it the Aussie thing was Damjanovic is how it was pronounced and even he used to play, I'm pretty sure it was Damjanovic but Dan played saxophone and went on to play sax with Jimmy and the boys uh, yeah, while I was in Outline he, he went on to play with Jimmy and the boys but Danny Mick and I would turn up at a gig somewhere with our horns and we'd wander in and we'd listen to the first set of the local band that was playing or whatever and then we'd wander up in the break and say listen we're in a horn section we'd like to have a blow and they go really? and they say yeah do you know that um do you know, um, like, um, uh, you know, um, oh, help a little help for my friends or, you know, the letter or, you know, any, there's a whole range of 25 or 64, a whole bunch of songs that had horns in them. And they go, oh, yeah, we know that song. Yeah, well, can you work it out? And the way we go, we'd get up and play. And uh, 
we did that one day in a, a West Point Tavern, which was at Parramatta near the near the railway station there, and there mm-hmm. was a band playing downstairs, and it was Farmer John, and and it was PC Paul Christie, yeah, was the bass player, and um, that's how I first met Paul. He went on to play with Boric, and then went on to play with um, Wando Rock, Party and Boys, part of the Party Boys, and um, and um, that's where I first met Paul when I was I think I was seventeen. Uh, and, and we had a blow down there. We went back again the next week and had a blow with him again. And, that, and that, you know, I became friends with him then. So it was, it was, um, yeah, interesting, interesting thing. It was a great thing to do when you're kids, you know. I've got to say. So yeah, well, you know, you you kicked into the game about the same age I did um, via Bob Yates handing out flyers and shit for the Civic Hotel at fifteen and sixteen <laughs> years old. It was like. Uh, a baptism of fire, that was for me. Oh, man, I can imagine because back then, like, it was such a, a moving scene. It was awesome. And, and the Civic Hotel was, was like, the, the centre of, of uh, developing bands in Sydney. I think it was the, the venue that really got the people really expanding out. There were a few. There, there was the Lifesaver at Bondi, which, which Bondi Junction, which was just awesome. The Stage Door Tavern was a great gig, um, and and the Civic Hotel. The Civic was was this place, and, and typically, like here's a particular, like a Monday. I remember these these this changed a little bit, but Monday night Ward Thirteen, Tuesday night Matt Finish, Wednesday night Outline, Thursday night My Sex, Friday night The Radiators, Saturday night Midnight Oil, and then <laughs> you know, and that was and then that Sunday was, night they'd have three bands on the way up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and you'd go, you know, and, and play there, and and um, we used to we, we we did Wednesday nights there for for you know probably I don't know three months, six months, something like that, and um, we used to pack it out, pack it packed to the roof. You know, when you're standing on stage, the stage was only probably half a metre high, and if that, and um, three or four hundred mil, and and then you'd stand on stage, and the place would be packed all the way back to the bar, all the way to the back of the room, and the place would rock on, you know, and, and the audience are, like, literally right there in front of you. You could pat them on the head or, you know, and, and we'd do things when, when we eventually when we were doing um, Cicada or whatever. I'd get people up on stage and um, do that, and I'd run out to the audience and pick people up off the ground and scream at them and stuff. And it was very funny. It was, it was very, very engaging, you know. I was, I was a big guy, so I could get away with it, but I did it with good humour, so no one was ever like, oh, jeez, man, well, you're, you're so, so aggressive, you know. It wasn't like that, you know. Was, you couldn't do it today. No, there's a lot of things you can't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like speaking your mind. Well, that's one thing. Apparently, face puke um, throws you throws you off if you if you say the wrong thing. I don't touch wood. I'm touching my own head here when I do this. Um, I haven't been thrown off Facebook. Um, but, but it's a, I suppose it's a matter of what words you choose. I know someone else. Um, close proximity has been kicked off Facebook a few times. <laughs> Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'm surprised I haven't been given another 30 days at present because um, I've basically said that the South African cricketer, who they're all lambasting for not taking a knee, and my opinion on that is, well, as far as I'm concerned, through history, the taking of a knee was, has always been a sign of subservience. Mate, I thought that was a, I thought that was a tackle they made in rugby league. <laughs> I took him by the knees, you know, I like got him, you know. Um, no, look, uh, mate. To be honest, um, I haven't even been made aware of this particular circumstance you're talking. But 
but uh, there's one I did this morning. I, I wrote a bit of a rave on Facebook, and, and it was about um, Craig Kelly is running ads on TV for Clive Farmer's party, and it was like, you know, um, yeah, no emissions, no jobs, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like this scaremongering crap that, that goes on. So I just wrote a big piece there, and immediately it, it took all of three or four minutes, and already had 10 different people um, replying to it and, and, and everything, everyone agreeing, you know, and, and with a bit of luck, someone like Craig Kelly won't make it through his electorate. I think he, he got voted in last time because he was acting as a Liberal uh, candidate, but now he's not. He's an independent, and without that association with the Liberals, he's not going to go anywhere. The guy's a moron, you know. He, he's just I just gonna... want to know how he got my freaking phone number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's another thing. Like, oh, mate, I, I tell you what, you know when it stopped for me? I don't know if you might have to edit this out, but when it stopped for me, I got one, then I got two, and I just sent a thing back to the thing saying, fuck off. Do not send me your bullshit crap again. Fuck you. <laughs> well, there's nothing, I will never edit out that language because it's so very old school Australian. <laughs> oh, mate, that's so funny. It's, that's so true. That's it, so is, true. it is, and I, I refuse to be anything but what I am, and that is a 60-year-old Australian who grew up during the Vietnam War, who grew up during the gay protests of the 70s in the, in the UK and here. You know, we grew up through all the things that everybody complains about now that we were in our generation part of trying to make it right anyway, and now we're the very ones who get shit. Well, look, you know, I've always been someone who just took... You try to take it on the chin, you jump up and down and say say, say things that, that, are, that, that are truthful where you can. And, and I'm not one to make declarations about who I am or what I am or whatever. I'm just someone... I always... Well, the one declaration I will say is that I probably lean to the left politically, but, uh, but it doesn't mean... If the if someone if the Liberal Party do a good job, I'll say they did. And if the Labor Party did a good job, I'll say they did. If neither of them did a good job at all, I'll say that too. So so I, I just you know take it take it as it is and just try to um, um, you know keep a, a, a moderate sort of middle if if you like. And, you know I don't try to sort of move away from anything, but I just someone that goes look you know you got to give. And, and then funny funnily enough, my my twelve year old son, I had him in the car yesterday, and I said, listen. Um, Life's full. Of, we were having a bit of a talk, and I said, "Look, mate, life's full of prejudice. You know, there's a lot of prejudice out there. Um, people, uh, religious, um, um, uh, racial um, discrimination against people for various things." And and I said, "The the best thing you can do in your life is to treat everybody um, the same and work out who those people are." And, and it's a simple simple um, reference scale that I have: Are they a good person or are they not? Now there are lots of variations on that, but but it's a simplistic one. But it works for me, and and I think it will, it'll work for most people. It doesn't matter where you come from. I've got I've got Muslim mates, I've got Asian mates, I've got you know Croatian, you know Iranian. I've got all sorts of different people that I'm friends with, um, particularly because they're they're good people, and and I trust their judgment to be you know to be good people and and to have good relations with other people and to do good things. It's when people become um, uh, assholes that um, you know that that they're they're demeaning they 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 um, you know discriminate against people for for no other reason than than some 
long-held view their family may have had or something or whatever. And I, I always just look at things like that. I always try to take it as simply as possible and just sort of think, well, uh, is this person, by their actions and their words, are they a good person? And and if they're not, well, I just cut them out of my life. It's like anything, you know, with the, with Facebook. Um, with um, That block button's a beauty, isn't it? Oh, the block button's a beauty. I mean, I, 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 I say my say my piece and, and someone comes back and wants to have a go and well fair enough but open discussion's fine but then when they start you know jumping up and down and, and sort of you know knocking up and carrying on I just say listen um that's my opinion and and you can you can have your opinion like that but don't start uh, you know filling my 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 um feed in, in in Facebook with all this derisive um you know uh, complex stuff that that that, that is um discriminatory or, or angry or whatever like that. And if they carry on, I just I just hit the, the, the block button. That's it. They're gone. I've done that quite a few times with people. People that I've actually, some people that I've actually become friends with on Facebook too. And I think I, I always read their profile and go, yeah, these people look like reasonable people. And every now and then one of them will stick their head up and just do something that I you know, just go, nah, sorry, I don't want to be associated with that. Click, gone, see ya, bye. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> it, it's too easy to do that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the... the It'd kind of be easier if it was like that in life, eh? You walk along and someone starts going blah 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 blah, and you just go click, and suddenly it all stops, and you can walk away from it. But sometimes it's not that easy, you know. So yeah, but, uh, it's it is what it is, as they say nowadays. Um, very different world to the one we grew up in. Oh mate, and in you. turn, it's a very very different music industry to the yeah, one, well, to the one we both started in in the seventies. It's it went from being this vibrant thing where, you know, seven nights a week you could go and see a decent rock and roll band in Sydney to now, well, who knows what's going to happen? Is there going to be an industry? Um, that's what a lot of people say, but I'm of the realisation that this industry's been rebuilt after adversity at least four times in my lifetime. True. That's true. So, um, look, I, I think you know there's a way back from this, and and eventually it'll, it'll come. And I think some people are seeing, seeing the the you know like, there's a good example. Um, some people I did some work for the Universal Hotel Group, right? They 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 own the Civic Hotel, and they used to own Kinsella's. They sold it recently. Um, they own Universal Nightclub and a number of other venues around town. They recently bought the Tempe Hotel. And um, which is on the Princess Highway at Tempe. Yeah. And now it's not the most salubrious of positions for for a pub because it's on a highway. It's not it's not next to a, a hub like like in Newtown where you've got a whole lot of people who live literally right around it and everything and walk in. It's not that sort of place. But Jim's had a Jim, the the the, um, the owner of the company. He's he's his thing was, I want to turn this into an entertainment pub. He's got, he's got several nightclubs. The city works really well. Great food. They've got an underground nightclub there. They, they have um, dance music parties, dance parties. They have um, rock music, all that stuff. It's all good. Universal, a bit the same. More more dance parties, a, a big gay sort of um, thing going on there. That, that's great. It's all good. But what he wants to do out here is to, to build um, build a venue up. He bought two shops. You know, he's, he was a bit cashed up. He sold Kinsella's. He bought the two shops either side of the, the pub. He's expanding it. Um, the game, gaming, which all pubs have, is there. He's moving it out into into one or two of the shops at the side, and he's he wants to open a venue there that that holds eight hundred to a thousand people, 
and they can they can have rock music there. They can have dance parties. They can do a whole range of different things. And and he's he wants to do a live music thing. He wants that to be a precedent in in that thing. And he's got an opportunity because of where the, the hotel is. And and that that says to me that there's a good sign at least that, that there are some people that are still thinking about this this aspect of it instead of going, oh, wow, this, this building here, wow, we could just vlog this tomorrow and turn it into apartments and that's the end of another hotel or, or um, you know, oh, no, too hard, you know, we just, we'll have a duo in on a Saturday night or something like that. I mean, you know, good for duos for, for people to get work, but you, they have a plan. They have something where you can actually um, plan to have acts on and, and people who are, who are pushing their, their own original music and that kind of thing is a really good thing. Um, and I, I, I applaud him for doing that. And, and hopefully there's a whole bunch of other people out there who will start to think about the same thing, trying to get something going again that used to exist once. He owns the Civic, and the Civic was that iconic place that we were talking about. And, and different now, there's a restaurant upstairs where, where we used to play. Um, the basement there, which wasn't there when we were playing around at that time, <clears throat> now they have dance parties there, and they have live entertainment there. Um, oh, sorry about that truck. Um, Clive Lockner, who's a friend of mine, Clive had been booking bands in there of late and some very fine funk bands and, and other things during the, the lockdown period and coming out of that, I think he'll be booking some more bands in there and, and, and it's a great place to hear you know, music and, and to do that and I'm hoping a lot more people will, will do the same thing and try to get back to having that thing where people can go out and watch and, uh, and listen and be entertained by live musos playing, playing good music, their own music, you know, not, not just covers and, and just, that kind of thing, you know, fingers crossed, you know, so. Yeah, well, you know, I live in hope that um, there is an industry where the tribute band thing goes by the by because it's swallowing up the game like a virus at present and rooms that were basically original have now succumbed to it. <laughs> <coughs> They're, they're actually loading the deck with tribute bands. And it's like, uh, no, you, you know, you people are now part, for my mind, of doing exactly the opposite of what you were doing before, which was promoting good original Australian music. And, you know, the odd covers band got through um, and played there, but there was never this proliferation of people who pretend to be someone else and you know I, i've look i'm sort of six yeah i'm sort of uh, to me look I, I look at it now sure there's some there's some tribute bands out there but look man there's been tribute bands for 30 40 years like they, they've oh, always I been realize this phil but not the virus-like uptake of them now it's like in new south wales alone there's 19 people pretending to be ACDC. 19 bands. And yeah, well, like... look, those things will live and die on their own, in their own uh, effectiveness and their own thing. People might go along and see it and, and then think, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, there, there are good bands around and doing that sort of stuff. Well, I just think, uh, I, don't, I don't concentrate on those things because the cover bands are cover bands and people at least are working is one thing you've got to say, but, but uh Look, you know, things change, and and as that goes along, I'm just hoping that that we get back to being more like you're doing original music again. The problem with with what was going on, you know, with both hotels and and, and recordings and, and everything else, is that 
um, everybody was able to buy a computer and everyone was able to become a producer and everyone was able to uh, produce stuff that was um, sometimes brilliant and sometimes just average crap, just just bedroom rubbish. And yet they they are, they are often uh, lauded by the people that are promoting it on radio and the like. And what that did, it also made the, the the live industry sort of go go sideways as well. In the old days, of course, we we travel around when we were an outline. We had an, an eight ton truck with a big BA with a big light show, four man crew. And we were on the road all the time. That's what we did. And and um, these days, that's not possible. You can't do that anymore. And and, and so you, you go into a place. You, if they, they have an inbuilt um, system there, great. If they don't, then they then you have to hire one in. You know, you, you might have one or two people that might work. Either one doing lights, one doing sound, and, and maybe if you're lucky, one guy doing stage um, and running around like that. It's a wholly different um, thing now. And and I just hope that. Um, with, with the way things have been turning out and, 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 and people wanting to get back into into life, uh, hopefully that, that will trigger something. It was very interesting. Uh, I might say last night I watched Gruen on ABC, right, um, with um, Will uh, uh, being the, the MC there. I don't know if you're familiar with Gruen. They look at all yeah, the Will Anderson? Will Anderson, yeah. yeah and they they follow the, the advertising stuff. And there was a, an ad that was released by Wrigley's and it was... It was basically an ad, and they all basically uniformly all, all agreed, all, all by one person, but they all agreed what a great idea and how successful it was because the, the sales of, of, of um, chewing gum had, had tapered right off during COVID because people weren't having personal contact as much and, 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 and chewing gum had, had also become like a tacit sort of version of a breath freshener as well. So people would use that as a breath freshener uh, instead of using Listerine and those kinds of things. They chew gum and they give them like a pepperminty flavour or whatever in their mouth and, and all of that. And so with personal relationships with people, um, things tapered off wholly. So what they did was they came up with this ad. And the ad was was basically this thing where people were just bursting free, being able to sort of see each other again and, and embrace and whatever. And, and it came down to more hugging and kissing and, and, and getting quite intimate, really. And there was, there was like dozens and dozens of them in a park all rolling around on the grass and everything like that. Now... It was kind of funny, but it was kind of, um, uh, and as they pointed out, the, the, the thing about it was it was this release of energy because people have been stuck behind this wall, this COVID wall for so long, and now they've opened up. And the interesting thing is that this, this, um, this uh, commercial that run in America and England or whatever, and it's just started to run here, and sales of, of, of chewing gum just started to go through the roof because of this, and, and, and it is an indication of what how people feel about this and, and it's just a really good indication and it truly is I mean you see the ad it makes you laugh and it makes you feel good it makes you feel good about the fact that people are actually doing this and I'm hoping that that proliferates and, and it becomes part of what we do with music as well because I think people are just trying to get out there and, and, and you know Kevin Boric turned 74 the other day um, yeah KB. I saw that KB One. 74 it's like and he does uh, not look it he, they call Cliff Richard Peter Pan. That man is the Peter Pan of Australia. He is, mate. He is, and he's an awesome guitar player. I love KB. I love, love and, uh, such a lovely man too. He Real. is too. lovely guy, and and to, to he, you know he celebrated his birthday doing a gig. That was the most important thing to him. His biggest birthday present was the fact that he was actually out doing a gig. On a, on a cruise, and there was a hundred people, there and they were dancing their asses off, and that was his whole thing was. They were out there enjoying themselves and, and 
going off. And, and that's the thing. And that's why I mentioned the Wrigley's out because I think there's a comparison to be made, you know, like the, 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 this, this is a time where people just want to get out and let their hair down. And let's hope it, it instigates uh, a change in attitude too, uh, you know, about, about what it means to be out there and doing stuff. And, and hopefully that, that, that sort of permeates the, the, the music industry a bit too, because, you know, things are changing. Dennis Handlin got the chop because he was, he, he was a, you know, a narcissistic fool and he, he just, you know, he, he couldn't see the, the smoke for the trees and, and he just had his own little kingdom going on there and, and let's hope that, you know, people are free of these restrictions of, the, of having to deal with people like him or having to have COVID sort of locking you into the house so you can't get out and, and let's hope people get out there and have fun and enjoy themselves, go and see some, some good music and, and and bands and things like that and and fingers crossed with the future in that way, you know? Like, yeah, you know, well, make... definitely. I've got an album to push out there very soon, so, yeah. Hey, I, what was that? I have an album very soon to push out there. And, True. Yeah. I, and I've, been, I've been working on that album with you as well. As you, yes, you as have, you... sir. And so has Mr Burns. Yeah, that's right. Murray's been doing his, his part too. And, um, and also, I've also got an album... Um, coming out as well I'm working on and I've got a whole bunch of different people involved on that um, and when you're down next time I'm getting you involved with it too you, you've got to sing a few things on on, uh, on um, a couple of tracks for me so that oh, well really that, that's a beautiful thing and I well that's actually a very very um, to me that that's I'm excited it's the first time I've been ever asked to do a session on anyone's stuff that is well, so mate, cool <laughs> Great to have your voice on on the songs and stuff, and, and my my uh, well, you, we know that, that your album is a great collection of wonderful songs, and it's interesting. I think people would be really interested to hear the the range of songs that you've chosen to, uh, for your album, and I think we've been trying to make them uh, interesting arrangements too, to sort of you know get, get them uh, get that point across, and I think that's working well. And with my stuff, I think. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, get to my age and I'm thinking, Jesus, you know, like I've done, I did the Cube album, I've worked with a whole bunch of different people, I've produced albums for people, I've done all that, but I haven't actually produced my own solo album. So so I figured, no, I've got to do this before I, you know, curl up my toes and, and, and die. And um, I, I'm really excited about uh, what I've been doing with it. I've, got, I've asked some interesting people, like, like certainly yourself, um, Ian Moss is playing guitar on a track of a car law, the jazz fusion guitar. Oh, guitarist. man. I'm in good company. I am privileged to be asked if I'm in such good company. Oh, mate, it's great. Well, Johnny Sammers from Outline has um, just played guitar on a track for me in London. I'm just about to sort of uh, uh, do that. Shane McGrath is a young guitar player from who lives in Daniloquin who I mentored during the talent development project. He was up here doing that. And he's a monster guitar player, that kid. And he's um, he's playing guitar on a track for me. Um, Ramsey um, McInnes is playing guitar. Craig Calhoun plays bass on a track. Ralph Marshall plays bass on a track. Um, you know, Simone Dee's done vocals. We've got Jeff Innes playing trumpet on and like, It's just great. It's just great. And all my friends have just gone, yep, yeah, we'll play on this. This will be great. And, and get it out there and, and try to get something else uh, going, you know. And uh, Oh, and, and Chris Cleave, who, who was used to be in a band called Bullrush, who played all the, well, well, most of the guitar on the, the Cube album I did with Terry MacArthur. And yep. uh, um, Chris, Chris is a great guitar player, really interesting guitar player, and um, he uh, now lives in Melbourne, and I contacted him, and he's putting guitar on, on a song as we speak. And, and the, this is the wonderful thing about the world we live in right now. Um, 
I can send him that stuff, as I did with Carl Orr. I sent him the track over, talked to him about it. He did a bunch of different takes. That's why he brings it back. Like I put it on the album, and there it is. The same with Johnny Sammers. John John went hard. He, John Johnny sent me about about a hundred tracks of rhythm guitars and, and different mixes of those different um, um, like with these, this mic, that mic with the direct sound. Um, then he did a, a, another version of it. So he's got all these different mic versions of the same thing. So he probably gave me twenty five tracks, but there's but there's four four versions of each of those uh, because they've just been recorded differently. So it's an awesome thing. So I've got the, the, the ability now to sit down and just filter through all of that stuff that he's given me um, and have this great thing because we all understand it. He knows too. We've got really good microphones and, and preamps and all that kind of stuff. So I, uh, the, 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 it all sounds great. You know, It all sounds really good. And now we can put it all together. And, um, yeah, so it's very exciting. Very exciting. So you've got your album coming out. I've got mine coming out. And, and um, I'm looking to, to do that. The other thing I'm doing too, I know you've done three clips so far, haven't you? Yeah. Done three. I've done three videos. I've released the first one, the, the, the Trump song, which I did a while ago. And I just released another one called Small, which I'm going to re-release anyway. But um, Small, I did a video for that. And I've just done another video. And I'm going to end up doing about five or six videos for my for my stuff just just so I can get it out there and give people a bit of an idea as to what it is who I am and what I do you know so just just to, you know sort of paint a picture basically that's what I want to do so speaking so, yeah. of things you do or have done um you've probably got the most distru- uh, most ever played version around the country of our national anthem well no Tommy Tico holds that that distinct honour. Tommy was... Uh, okay, well, you still got to be mighty close. Well, I had a lot of people playing playing it around there. Um, Yeah, that was an interesting one because it was very funny. Genevieve Davis was a singer that came out, um, you know, started performing around in in the um, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And, and Genevieve was a, a dark-skinned girl and um, she had a great voice. She still has a great voice. She's still singing. Um and Mary Lopez, who does the School Spectacular and the Talent Development Project, Mary rang me. I knew Mary, and she rang me, and she said, look, I've got this girl. She she wants some backing tracks done. Um, you know, can you have a chat to her? So I did. And uh, she wanted the Simon and Garth, Uncle, Bridge Over Troubled Waters, and there were two or three other songs, and she wanted a version of Advanced Australia Affair. So I put all those together for her, and then came the playback time. She came to the studio. I played her the other songs. She loved all those. That was great. And, and came to the um, Advanced Australia Affair, and I said, look, um, if you if you don't mind me being uh, this, this certainly wasn't meant to be tokenistic but what I did was I put a didgeridoo at the beginning of it and gave it a different sort of thing and it's like rock band with with orchestra guitar bass drums and, and, and strings and all that kind of stuff and, and that's what it is um, so I played it to her and she, and she loved it she said oh that's fantastic she said there's one only one thing though and I said what's that she says I'm not Aboriginal <laughs> my mum was from South Africa I nearly fell off my chair because here I am thinking I'm doing the right thing because I thought she was Aboriginal, um, trying to do something that would uh, help to sort of, um, you know, meld it together for her. And as it turned out, she she was originally like you know from South South Africa. So I just um I said oh no, and she goes no no, but listen, I love it and I certainly concur with everything the Indigenous population are trying to do. So that that's great. I'll, I'll go with it. So cut to some years later, I'm, I'm, I was editing the Rocker Step for I edited that for 22 years. I was doing that, and, and uh, among all the schools, I, I edited all the music for all the schools in Sydney. And a school came up from Wollongong, and I knew the teacher really well, Greg 
Greg Smith and, and Greg um, Greg Carlin, sorry, Greg Carlin and Greg came up and uh, he said, "Here's my CDs and whatever." And we started editing. You get to about the third, second or third track, I put it on. It's my backing track of Advanced Australia Fair, and I said, "You mean I was sick? This is mine. Where, where did you get this from?" And he said, "Well, um, Christina knew we, we we did a thing for Wollongong Council, and Christina knew also performed there. We did a Rocker Stedford performance, and she also performed some songs, and she also did the the." Advanced Australia Fair and, and this was the track she used she left it behind and he said I ended up with it and um, he said I, I, I really liked it so I thought I'd use it so that, that which was great but that started the thing I, I, I rang APRA and found out because I did find out that it, it was out of copyright and what happens when it's out of copyright is that the arranger uh, of a recording and the owner of the recording gets a 50% royalty uh, of the original. So if you, you know, whatever the original, if it was $100 you're going to get, but being an arranger, you get $50 for it um, because the original um, composer, um, uh, you know, this was some 70 years before that or, or more. So um, I looked into it and the more I looked into it, the more I realised they used it at the 1999 um, Rugby League um, a big triple header match that they had at the Stadium Australia, ANZ Stadium, Um to launch the stadium there. It was the first sports event they had there, and it was a triple header. It was the Dragons and Canterbury and Parramatta and Penrith and, and South Sydney and, and uh, the Roosters or something like that. And um, it was used there. So I ended up getting paid for that, which was awesome. And then I started doing my, my um, due diligence on it, and I found that Anthony Mundine was using it for all these fights. Um, Leah Purcell was doing it. Wendy Matthews was using it, um, Caroline O'Connor, and the list went on. Uh, Christina knew. There's all these people using my backing track to do that for, for Australia Day things, for, for anything else I was doing where they needed the. So I ended up going to APRA, and it took me two years to, you know, with, with the help from Millie Petriella there, two years to convince them that I, I was due something here because this is my version. And so they ended up, in the end, they ended up paying me back pay for it and then paying me some money every year for it because it was being used around the country and, and I didn't have any control over it because what had happened was um, Genevieve's audio guy had actually taken it off the digital audio tape that I'd given him and when CDs were just happening at that time, it was about 91, 92, he, he burned it onto a CD that had no markings, no names, no information on it and then made copies of it and those copies ended up getting given to other people and it just went out and it had no reference to me on it at all. So, so that's what took a while for, for APRA to understand that all this, this this track had been given to all these people and everyone's using it and I have no way of tracking it. Um, and so, yeah, it ended up, um, yeah, and this was in 2008. So for 13 years, I, I got, I got, I've been getting payments for, for it, which is great, which is terrific and it's been used. So it's probably the second most widely used version of, of Advanced Australia Fair in Australia uh, other than Tommy Tico's and Tommy's is the one that that most people use, like, you know, you hear at big events, although I did hear mine at a number of big events too, so, you know, so it was all good. So, you know, you've left a footprint with that, that, you know, they'll be using that till the day this country's gone. Well, look, there was another one, it was very funny, this is also in my book. Um, There was a guy who was doing, had a production company and he was doing work for the Sydney Swans. And I'd done a number of different things. He wanted the Swan Lake thing. I did a techno remix of Swan Lake and they had a thousand dancers in there one day and, and that kind of thing. You know, he'd, he'd want a special music track. So I'd you know, spend two or three days working something up and 
Then one day he rings me, he goes, listen, he said, um, oh, the Swans are giving me this thing. I've, I've come up with, I've redone the, the backing track to um, uh, the Swans theme song. They want a new version of the theme song. <laughs> and um, would you record it for me? And I went, sure, sure, no worries. And so well, what are we organised? And he goes, well, I've got this, these guys are like a, um, a barbershop quartet. Like there's these four guys, you know, and they're saying, like this, you know. So, yeah. so um, we get in there and he gives me the, the, the two-track version of what he's done and we put it up on the, on the recorder and these guys turn up. And so we start and we start recording it. And then about two or three hours later, and they leave and he goes, turns to me and he goes, what do you think? And I go, well, to be honest, I think it's fucking average, mate. That's Those guys weren't very good. They, they're all right, but they're, they're not. Nah, it's, and he goes, God, he said, I, I knew you were going to say that. He said, what am I going to do? He said, I told the Swans I'd have something for them tomorrow to listen to. And I said to him, well, listen, <clears throat> I sing. And my flatmate at the time, Mike Finnegan, young, um, Mike Finnegan, Mike is a is a, um, a very good jazz jazz funk kind of singer. And Mike's got a great voice. And uh, how about I, I get Mike and I to, to you know, we'll la- layer up vocals over it with these guys and we'll turn it into something. And he goes, oh, look, if you could, that'd be great. So I ring Mike and he goes, yeah, no worries. So he comes over and we were there for another three or four hours and we put 30 or 40 voices on the whatever and we sang it like, cheer to the red and the white, cheer to the red and the white, cheer to, you know, look, we tried to make it so. Yeah, but but we tried to change it so it sounded, well, it's all in unison actually pretty much except for parts of it. But we tried to make it sound like it was sung by a whole range of different people. So we did that. And I, I gave it to him the next morning and he went and had the meeting. He rings me after the meeting. He goes, mate, they love it. He said, it's great. I said, oh, thanks. And apparently, uh, apparently that's what they still use to this day. So whenever there's a, a Swans match and you hear the Swans win the match and then they cut to the dressing room afterwards and they're talking to one of the players or the coach or something and in the background, you see all the players singing the song or whatever. We or, are you know, red and white. But if you see them on the ground as they finish the game and they've won the match, they're playing something through the through the sound system that usually the theme song. And I listen to it and they go, "Yeah, I can hear me and I can hear Mike. You know, I can just hear it in the, in the recording." So that's very funny. That's very funny to be part of the Swans, and I'm a Swans fan too, so that's easy, you know. So I can't help myself. St Kilda and St George, mate. Uh, well, I, I'm 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 the Swans. I've got a triumvirate, right? I'm, I'm a Swans fan. I'm a Dragons fan, like since I was a kid, and I'm a Liverpool fan, mate. So, so uh, they're well, all. Don't hold that against you, <laughs> especially <laughs> after last week or this uh, <laughs> after Sunday. I will not hold it against you being a, a Scouser supporter. Scouser supporter after they walk Manchester. Oh yeah, well, uh, yeah, that that one sticks in my craw because the English part of me came from Salford. Yeah, well. And so, you know, part of me is actually a mank. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but that said, we dusted up Liverpool last year twice. Oh, yeah, once, and, and the other one, it was you got away with it, but no, 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 different different team now, man. Salah's Salah actually on fire, mate. He, he's probably the best player in the league at the moment. Like he's oh, Without a doubt, without a doubt. Gary, he's just come, he's, you know, like some, there's always the great players. He's always been a great player. And then there's the other, you know, there's a range of them there. There's, there's really good players. But he's, you know, when someone's in their purple patch, you know, when he, like, he, there was one goal there where it came in and he had no right to be able to, he was in close to the goal and the ball flew in 
And the way he just took control of that ball with his right foot, he just went click like that, dropped it and kicked it with the, in the same motion with the same foot and got it into the goal just like that. Like, it was just masterful, mate. It was just like, wow. It's, it's like watching a cross between Ronaldo and Messi with Salah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, they're great players. They, they, they make, you know, like Ronaldo... You know, like when the ball comes anywhere near him, he's in his, you know, within five metres of the goal, mate. Look out. Like, he's, he's, it's, it's going to be very difficult to stop him. But, but Salah's just, I don't know, there was a few goals and that's other goals this season too where, sorry about the truck, um, other goals this season where he's absolutely just, just, I don't know, got it on a string. Like, you think, wow, man, like there are certain points in people's career where you just go, yeah, you know, wow, you know. And listen, I know we, we, sort of spoken about this just briefly yesterday but Norm Praven has got to say being a lifelong Dragons fan he won 10 premierships 10 some players play their whole lives in the NRL and never win a, a premiership he won 10 four of them as captain coach and worked um, a bloody day job at the same time yeah yeah and he had Norm Praven discounts I remember in the 70s there that was yeah. amazing yeah. you know my mum and dad we went and bought a fridge for Norm Praven I think you know it was very very funny, and, and he was he was an absolute legend, mate. He was probably one of the greatest players that's ever lived. Like for for, for his achievements and for what he did, and 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 you hear anyone speak about him, and they just said, man, he was just he was just a giant. He was just too good a guy. He was he was a wonderful human. He was he was very talented as a player. He was a great coach, and motivator of men, and and he was just just a great guy. And you know, and to see the fact is he made it to eighty nine was was a, a testament to his own. Own sort of longevity in his own own direction, you know, like like amazing, you know, really. So yeah, he, well, he was a big man too. So you know, um, as you are finding out, arthritis and that starts yeah, yeah. starts to whack the living crap out of you. And he was suffering at the for probably nine years from debilitating arthritis, but you never knew it. You never heard anything about him bitching about it. He just no. carried on, and what an example of a man for, even though he was, you know, some would say he was, he, all he did was kick a bloody football. Well, no. the man himself was, you know, he'd do anything for anyone. He helped people, uh, you know, and never did it yeah. with fanfare. He made he had a great reputation as a human, you know. So, so that's that's and that's what I was saying to you earlier about. What, what it means to be a person, you know, and, and how you judge people. I mean, I judge Norm Praven because of the quality of, of his personality and, and his his um, status as a human being in, in oh, relation definitely to... Definitely a quality human being. And, well, uh, captain of 10 of 11. Amazing. That's just amazing. It truly yeah. is amazing. And it, it'll never, ever happen again in any code of major football anywhere around the world. No, it won't. It won't. It's impossible. Particularly in those days, you know, like in those days, there was saddening um we can't get across the border and aside that i've got two guitarists who won't get a vaccine oh well no oh, well you just have to wait till the new year or find two new guitarists 
Oops, I didn't hear that. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> They'll have a laugh when they do because they know I won't shed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it wouldn't be odd without... Well, anybody can be odd. Oh, we're all odd. Yeah, and everybody... All my friends are part of the odd collective, so it really doesn't matter who's playing guitar at any given time. It could be anyone. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'll have to draft you in for a gig somewhere along the line playing trumpet. Oh, mate, I don't play trumpet anymore. No, those days are gone. Like when we did the outline thing for the, um, uh, for Ke- um, um, at, uh, from my sex, um, when we did that, I, I got um, Jason Morford and um, Jeff Innes in to play sax and trumpet to, to make up for, for the lines that I... I no longer played, which was great. It was great having those two guys play because they're great players and they're great mates, and and uh, it was really nice to do. But no, I don't play anymore. Uh, uh, sadly, I've lost my lips, so you know I don't want to embarrass myself and try to. <laughs> uh, well, you know, um, you can always do the Milli Vanilli. <laughs> yeah, right. No, <laughs> I got to get up and sing sing harmonies in a song with you down at the bridge. So that was. Yeah, (laughs) the one I lost my ears in. Lost your ears? Oh, well, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, in the ears have gone pop. Oh, okay. (laughs) And you tell the stage guy that ears have gone, and when you get them back for me, can I have some horns in them? And by the time the message got to front of house, it was like Chinese whispers around a bloody schoolyard. Yeah, it was the the next song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, the message that actually got to front of house was not the message that was relayed in the first place. So Chinese whispers can happen. The difference between a story translated side of stage and somebody walking 20 metres, handing the story off to someone else to give to the someone else, fucked it up right royally. <laughs> uh, I think, I think the, the Chinese whisper, I think the message that got to front of house was... Um chicken chow mein and some spring rolls. Yeah, <laughs> and it would have been good if somebody had turned up with them because I was quite hungry after the gig. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, on that note, Phil, thank you very much for being with us on the Odd Collective podcast. Um, Mate, absolute pleasure as usual. Um, we shall do this again once your album and book are out. We'll deep dive into the book. Absolutely, mate. Can't wait. That'd be great. Okay, mate. Good on you. Cheers.